answering the difficult and critical questions youth may face that relate to Mormon culture and teachings. This is the Rise Up Podcast, produced by Fair Mormon. President Eyring of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was invited to speak at a gathering at the Vatican. This is the headquarters for the Catholic Church worldwide. Think of it as the Salt Lake City of the Catholic Church. Well, sort of. Anyway, the gathering featured religious leaders from all over the world and from a variety of denominations. In some cases, this gathering was called Humanum. I think that was the hashtag that was used. In others, the gathering was simply referred to as the Colloquium. The website for this event states the purpose of the gathering. It says, The complementarity of man and women, an international colloquium, is a gathering of leaders and scholars from many religions across the globe to examine and propose anew the beauty of the relationship between the man and the woman in order to support and reinvigorate marriage and family life for the flourishing of human society. Witnesses will draw from the wisdom of their religious tradition and cultural experiences as they attest to the power and vitality of the complementary union of man and woman. It is hoped that the colloquium will be a catalyst for creative language and projects as well as for global solidarity in the work of strengthening the nuptial relationship, both for the good of the spouses themselves and for the good of all who depend upon them. The colloquium is sponsored by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and co-sponsored by the Pontifical Council for the Family, the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, and the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of Christian Unity. So, in short, the Catholic Church put on a meeting where religious leaders from across the world came to talk about and defend the family unit, but more specifically, marriage between a man and a woman. Now, President Eyring's presentation was about 13 minutes long, and we'll play some clips for it a little later for you in this episode. But this was an important presentation for a few reasons that at least I can see, but there may be even more. It was important because historically, such a connection between the LDS Church and the Catholic Church was not such an open door. I personally consider this to be a tremendous act of kindness and Christian fellowship on the part of the Catholic Church to invite President Eyring, but also for President Eyring to attend. This was also significant in light of the various perspectives and directions the laws of many nations throughout the world have taken with respect to legalizing same-sex marriage. Now, Sometimes we might feel like a small minority of people who believe that marriage should be only between a man and a woman legally and lawfully married. This event stands to show that some of the largest and most well-respected faith traditions in the world can be united in our defense of God's moral standard regardless of where some in the world advocate. For President Eyring, this presentation stands as a prime example of what it means to defend our faith to the world. As we will hear in a bit as we play some segments from his presentation, you will hear and hopefully sense the nature of his calling coming through in the message he was sharing. He spoke with authority and with purpose. While this particular environment was not considered hostile, 
other engagements between the communities of some of these faiths have not always been so kind. So President Eyring went forward without fear and without reservation. He bore his testimony of God our Father, Jesus Christ, his divine Son and our Savior, and of the central role of eternal marriage in the plan of salvation. His example of both missionary work and being one to stand and defend the faith is a powerful example to the membership. Additionally, this becomes a message to the larger audience of people that may have misconceptions about the LDS view on marriage in a polygamous sense. Now, while not a direct part of his message, it should be clear that a top leader of the LDS faith has one wife. The relationship of current church practice with regard to polygamy is still in question with a lot of people in spite of a tremendous amount of transparency on the part of the church with regards to this issue. So his message is really a call for a renaissance or a rebirth of happy marriages. While many of you listening to this are young adults and probably not married or even engaged, marriage is a topic that is something you should be educated on in order to either put your life in order and be prepared for it or know what it means to seek and work towards having a happy marriage at some point in the not-so-distant future. Now, when that time comes to get married or what qualities you are to look for in a partner is a topic for another time. However, as you listen to President Eyring's message, you may hear some important advice as you move on in life towards that goal of marriage. So I'm going to play for you parts of the presentation. Not all of it. Uh, There might be some legal reasons for that, but I would encourage you to listen to the entire presentation you know, the whole thing in its entirety. We have a link to it and an embedded version of the full presentation at the posting for this episode at blog.fairmormon.org. So here is President Eyring at the 2014 International Colloquium in the Vatican on the power of and importance of divine marriage. I am grateful to be invited to be a witness at this colloquium. I am especially grateful for the opportunity to give evidence that a man and a woman united in marriage have a transcendent power to create happiness for themselves, for their family, and for the people around them. I am an eyewitness of the power of the union of a man and a woman in marriage to produce happiness for each other and for their family. The evidence I offer is personal, very personal. Yet I trust my recital may re-trigger in your memories what you have seen that would point to a general truth beyond the experience of one couple and one family. The evidence I offer begins when I was a single man, living alone without any family near me. I thought I was happy and content. I was a doctoral student at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. My research work was going well. I was serving others through my church, and I found time to play tennis often. An assignment in my church took me to a morning meeting in a grove of trees in New Hampshire. As the meeting ended, I saw in the crowd 
a young woman. I had never seen her before. But the feeling came over me that she was the best person I had ever seen. That evening, she walked into our church meeting in Cambridge. Another thought came into my mind with great power. It was, if I could only be with her, I could become every good thing I ever wanted to be. I said to the man sitting next to me, do you see that girl? I would give anything to marry her. We were married a year after I first saw her. <laughs> the wedding ceremony was in a temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The words spoken in the ceremony included a promise that we might be husband and wife in this life and for eternity. The promise included that whatever descendants we might have would be bound to us forever if we lived worthy of that happiness. We were promised that after this life, we could continue to enjoy whatever loving family sociality we could create in life. My wife and I believed those promises and we wanted that happiness. So we acted to make it possible through the great variety of circumstances of life. There was sickness and health, struggle and some prosperity, the births of six children, and eventually the births of 31 grandchildren, and on the day I arrived at this colloquium, the first great-grandchild. <laughs> Yet with all the changes, there have been consistencies since that wedding day more than 52 years ago. Most remarkable to me has been the fulfillment of the hope I felt the day I met my wife. I have become a better person as I have loved and lived with her. We have been complimentary beyond anything I could have imagined. Her capacity to nurture others grew in me as we became one. My capacity to plan, direct, and lead in our family grew in her as we became united in marriage. I realize now that we grew together into one, slowly lifting and shaping each other year after year as we absorbed strength from each other, it did not diminish our personal gifts. Our differences combined as if they were designed to create a better whole. Rather than dividing us, our differences bound us together. Above all, our unique abilities allowed us to become partners with God in creating human life. The happiness that came from our becoming one built faith in our children and grandchildren that marriage could be a continuing source 
of satisfaction for them and their families. Now you have seen enough unhappiness in marriages and families to ask why some marriages produce happiness while others create unhappiness. Many factors make a difference, but one stands out to me. Where there is selfishness, natural differences of men and women often divide. Where there is unselfishness, differences become complementary and provide opportunities to help and build each other. Spouses and family members can lift each other and ascend together if they care about the interests of the other more than they care of their own. If unselfishness is the key to complementarity in marriage between a man and a woman, we know what we must do to help create a renaissance of successful marriages and family life. We must find ways to lead people to a faith that they can replace their natural self-interest with deep and lasting feelings of charity and benevolence. With that change, and only then, will people be able to make the hourly unselfish sacrifices necessary for a happy marriage and family life, and to do it with a smile. The change that is needed is in people's hearts more than in their minds. The most persuasive logic will not be enough unless it helps soften hearts. For instance, it is important for men and women to be faithful to a spouse and a family, but in the heat of temptation to betray their trust, only powerful feelings of love and loyalty will be enough. It's at this point that President Iron goes on to read the entire text of the family proclamation. And it's good, but we don't need to include it here. So we're going to move on to the part after that. So again, if you want to listen to the message in its entirety, please do so. There's links to that here on the posting for this episode of the Rise Up podcast at blog.fairmormon.org. Continuing on with President Iring's message. Such a renaissance will require people to try for the ideal and to keep trying, even when the happy result is slow to come and when loud voices mock the effort. We can and must stand up and defend the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. Professor Lynn Wardle, who is here, has said, quote, the task we face is not for summer soldiers or weekend warriors who are willing to work for a season and then quit. A past president of our church, Gordon B. Hinckley, offered similar counsel as well as encouragement saying, quote, we cannot effect a turnaround in a day or a month or a year but with enough effort. We can begin a turnaround within a generation and accomplish wonders within two generations. Today, more than a million members of our church in the United States gather their families every day for prayer. 41,000 individual families in Mexico read scriptures together 
one to three times a week. 70,000 individual families in Brazil gather two or three times a month for an evening of prayer, worship, and scripture reading. Now those are small numbers when you think of the billions of parents and families that Heavenly Father watches down upon in this world. But if that family bonding passes through just a few generations, happiness and peace will grow exponentially among the worldwide family of God. As we work to build and encourage faithful, loving marriages in which men and women become as one and nurture their families, the Lord will multiply our efforts as we join together in this work. I promise progress toward that happy result. And I do it in the name of Jesus Christ, whom I serve and whose witness I am. Amen. I encourage you to share this message by President Eyring with your friends on social media and simply come to know the spirit of this message in its simple purity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rise Up. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes under the name Mormon Faircast. Questions or comments can be posted at blog.fairmormon.org in conjunction with this episode. Tune in each week for another episode of Rise Up. Thank you for listening. <laughs>